Welcome to Books and Nachos, a podcast for those of us who find excitement in the pages of a good book. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. It was obscene. It was a travesty. The aged red power motor the fat man had brought in his van was running on its own. No one was pushing it. In fact, no one was within five feet of it. It was running at a fever pitch, tearing through the unfortunate grass of Harold Parquette's back lawn like an avenging red devil straight from hell. It screamed and bellowed and farted oily blue smoke in a crazed kind of mechanical madness that made Harold feel ill with terror. The overripe smell of cut grass hung in the air like sour wine. But the lawnmower man was the true obscenity. The lawnmower man had removed his clothes, every stitch. They were folded neatly in the empty birdbath that was at the center of the back lawn. Naked and grass-stained, he was crawling along about five feet behind the mower, eating the grass. Welcome back, Books and Nachos listeners. I'm Arnie, your host, continuing to mow through all the Stephen King short stories in Night Shift. Today I'm reviewing The Lawnmower Man, first published in Cavalier Magazine in May 1975, before being collected in the 1978 anthology. If you can't tell from the excerpt I read at the opening of this podcast, The Lawnmower Man wins the award for being the absolute strangest story collected in Night Shift. And that's saying a lot, given that it's competing against killer laundry machines, giant mutant rat-bat creatures, and mafia-smoking cessation programs. But despite all the weird plots in the previous short stories, how can any story compete with the vision of a self-propelled lawnmower being followed by a fat, naked man who eats its clippings? And more, what does this all have to do with the Greek gods Pan and Circe? To be completely honest with you listeners, I have to say, when I first read The Lawnmower Man for this review, I was at a loss for even how to review it beyond, oh my god, what was King thinking with this fat, grass-eating satyr? And this isn't even my first time reading the story. Back in 1992, when the movie The Lawnmower Man came out, I was excited by the thought of Remington Steele inventing a cyberspace monster. I may have been alone in that excitement, but nonetheless, I was. The Stephen King title had me there opening weekend, but in talking with my longtime friend and now-playing co-host Stuart, he told me how the original short story had no resemblance to the film, and he said it was about a man who ate grass clippings as he mowed a lawn. I didn't get it. I couldn't imagine there was such a short story, and I just didn't believe him. I felt there had to be more resemblance between the story and the film than Stuart was letting on. So I read The Lawnmower Man for the first time. I knew in the 1970s there wouldn't have been a concept of computers or cyberspace, but it had to have something to do with mental retardation and technology, right? No, not at all. I read the story and then immediately dismissed it as being nothing like the movie I had seen. But the memory of the story's ridiculous premise stuck with me for over 20 years. And despite being familiar with the concept when I walked away from reading this 10-page tale, I still found myself staring at a blank page saying, how the hell do I make a review of this? More, it seemed so far apart from most of King's other fiction that comparisons were difficult at best. So I walked away from this story wondering if I fully understood what King was attempting. I mean, there were dropped references to Pan and Circe, and in my youth I was a huge fan of Greek myth. 
Other kids on the playground read about Superman, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, and X-Men. My superheroes were Zeus, Hades, and Persephone with their soap operatic romances and their superpowers. But it's been a long time since those days, and yes, I dug out my old high school mythology books and reminded myself of Homer's Odyssey to try and determine if King had some coded metaphor embedded in the prose of the Lawnmower Man. Fortunately, I read the story well in advance of this week's review, so I walked away from the review and left the page blank. The thought of what to tell you, my constant listeners who have been so supportive and encouraging with your feedback on these Books and Nachos reviews, haunted me, and slowly I chewed on the story like the lawnmower man on his cut grass. And over the span of a few weeks, the shock of this story's outlandish nature faded. I was able to process the story beyond its odd antagonist and really consider the Stephen King work. And yes, it finally hit me. There is more to this story than an obese weed eater. There is social commentary at work here and a strong Stephen King sociopolitical statement. In the end, this story isn't very different than the other Night Shift stories with its Twilight Zone tale of terror. It fits in very well with stories like Battleground. My problem was, I was so enamored and appalled by the mysterious titular lawnmower man that I was completely ignoring the story's protagonist, the far more pedestrian Harold Parquette. While Harold is less interesting and certainly less unique than the lawnmower man, really, this is Harold's story, and through Harold, I see King's inspiration for this outlandish oddball. The Lawnmower Man is told in straight third-person prose, a welcome relief from the many first-person stories King has put in Night Shift. But despite the perspective change, this piece has a strong, character-driven third-person point of view. With the exception of a brief epilogue, the entire story is told from the perspective of Harold. And Harold's a middle-aged man. In the ten-page narrative, we don't learn too much about him. I end the story not knowing his line of work, his exact age, or his hobbies. But what I do learn is he's old enough to have a wife who wears girdles, a teenage daughter who likes to date a bunch of different guys, and he's a Red Sox fan, a Republican who likes his beer. Much of this is conveyed in the first few sentences of King's story. The Lawnmower Man opens with, quote, In previous years, Harold Parquette had always taken pride in his lawn. He had owned a large silver lawn boy and paid the boy down the block $5 per cutting to push it. In those days, Harold Parquette had followed the Boston Red Sox on the radio with a beer in his hand and the knowledge that God was in his heaven and all was right with the world, including his lawn, end quote. And that knowledge that Harold relies on has made him complacent. Now Harold is a man who's gotten wealthy enough, or lazy enough, to stop taking care of his own home and instead pay others to do it for him. But King uses an interesting word in that opening. Harold takes pride in his lawn. And as the saying goes, after the pride comes the fall, and this entire story rests on that notion. The end of Harold's gorgeous lawn comes on a fall day when his lawn boy accidentally runs over a cat with the mower. Harold's wife Carla witnessed the carnage, and so Harold sold the prize mower. The next year, with no lawn boy and no mower, Harold just lets his lawn grow to seed. Neighbors mock him, wild animals start to treat it like a preserve, and Harold just keeps watching it grow, drinking his beer and listening to his baseball games. Now, as this story is told from Harold's perspective, there's no judgment in the prose. It's very matter-of-fact, so it's easy to miss King's subtle damnation of the man. I mean, the way it's written, 
The neighbors are the jerks for making jokes about Harold's lawn. Never mind that I can't imagine any suburban neighborhood where such unkempt lawns would not violate some covenant or law. No, Harold is oblivious to the basic fact that he is the lazy asshole in the story, and since he doesn't know, it's not written overtly. Harold is well off and complacent, and that's driven him to a place in life where he's too comfortable to act. He watches his daughter go out with different boys wearing a, quote, skimpy sweater, end quote, but he says nothing. He does nothing. The grass grows and grows for months, and it isn't until mid-July that Harold decides to do something about it, not by cutting it, but by going to the Yellow Pages. And when the lawnmower man, who is never given a name, comes to tend to the lawn, we really see the root of Harold's class bias. The lawnmower man wears overalls, smells of engine oil and grass, and has a deep tan, and due to his working-class nature, Harold immediately sums him up and pigeonholes the man. King writes, quote, He had seen the type before, working for the sanitation department and the highway repair crews out on the turnpike, always with a spare minute to lean on their shovels and smoke lucky strikes or camels, looking at you as if they were the salt of the earth, able to hit you for five or sleep with your wife any time they wanted to. Harold had always been slightly afraid of men like this. They were always tanned dark brown, there were always nets of wrinkles around their eyes, and they always knew what to do, end quote. Notice that last line, they always knew what to do. In one way, that's Harold's way of calling laborers simple. He feels these type of people are beneath him. Yet he admits he's afraid of them. His insecurity in his own physical ability has made him feel inferior to people that, intellectually, he thinks he is superior. He fears their confidence, for he has none. It took him months even to decide to call a lawn service for crying out loud. And that's the crux of the story. Fear. King is a horror writer who explores his own fears for the entertainment of millions, but in this story, it's fear doubt, uncertainty that are the monsters, not the cloven-footed lawnmower man. And it's finally shown in the final passages of the story, and spoiler alert, I always try to keep my reviews as spoiler-free as possible, but with the lawnmower man, as with last week's Strawberry Spring, there's no way to analyze a 10-page story without discussing the end, so I'm about to tell you the climax. If you don't want to hear it, now is the time to press pause and then come back after you've finished this very short story. Still with me? Okay. When Harold sees the lawnmower man outside, his lawnmower driving itself, the fat, naked man eating the grass behind it, Harold is a bit put off and repulsed. But really, he does nothing. He's even slightly awestruck by how well this man cut the lawn and ate every single blade of grass, leaving no mess. Harold's disgusted that the mower swerved to kill a gopher, the remains of which the lawnmower man also ate, but he still does nothing. Why is Harold inactive? Is it fear of this man with the lawnmower? No, truthfully, this is Harold's nature. He's an inactive character. But it's fear that finally drives Harold to act. When the lawnmower man, naked as a jaybird, goes out to mow the front yard, Harold starts to fear what the neighbors will think. These are the same neighbors that Harold disregarded with his overgrown shrub of a yard, but a naked man was too much. More it jeopardized Harold's superiority complex. His neighbors were, quote, wretched Democrats, end quote, who would have their worst suspicions confirmed about Harold if they saw this fat grass eater naked on his lawn. So it's not out of strength, but weakness that Harold has to act by calling the cops. 
an act that the lawnmower man sees as betrayal, and thus, Harold is killed. But I really want to focus on one thing. In this ten-page story, Harold is only active four times. First, he sells the lawnmower after it kills the cat, but that is something he's driven to by his wife's complaining and withholding of sex. Second, he calls his old lawn boy to mow, but that's a habitual act. He did it every year, and now the boy's in college, so he can't mow. So the third act Harold makes after months of waiting is he calls this lawn service. And his fourth and final act is once more picking up the phone and calling the police. Harold's entire definition of activity is actually telling others what to do, calling them to do his work for him. And that is why Harold dies, because he's inactive. As the lawnmower man's self-propelled machine chases after Harold, King writes, quote, Harold sprinted across his newly cut back lawn, but there had been too many beers, too many afternoon naps. End quote. Harold had been inactive for so long his body had atrophied. He was inactive the entire story, possibly his entire life, and so when he needed to be active to save his own life, he couldn't. So what we have here in The Lawnmower Man is a criticism of the middle upper class, office workers, those who feel above manual labor. Harold is worried about the stock market, not his lawn, and so this yuppie bastard gets his, cut down by one of the working men he felt so above. And it's very easy to see King's perspective in context. This story was published in early 1975, and while this was after Carrie was published, and King was making decent money from that, he had said in interviews that the money came in slowly. The memories of having to work multiple jobs, from the textile mill to the laundromat, all while teaching during the day, was fresh in King's mind. Only about a year before this, King and his family couldn't even afford to keep the telephones turned on. So this kind of indictment of the upper middle class, who pay others to work instead of working themselves, would likely have fit King's personal views. Add to that, King's a lifelong liberal and he makes Harold a repulsive, staunch Republican. The only thing that confuses me that King is a devout Red Sox fan for life, and he had Harold share that affinity. Now, King often writes himself into the stories, so perhaps he was writing this while listening to a Red Sox game on the radio. But it seems to me if Harold was going to be the epitome of a man King would hate, then wouldn't he be a Yankee fan? It's even called out that the Lawnmower Man was the Yankee fan. If indeed my deconstruction of this short story is on the mark, I think it would have been more clearly defined if Harold had loved the Yankees and the righteous working man had been the Red Sox fan. But what about the titular lawnmower man? The reason, dear listener, that I found myself with reviewer's block here is because from the title, I thought he should be the focus of the story. He, with his green pubic hair, cloven feet, and self-aware mower, who works for the Greek god Pan in his lawn maintenance and worship. This man is more interesting to me than a dullard, lazy suburbanite. But truthfully, that's the misdirection. Just like the man's boss, Pan, dressed in sheepskin to seduce the moon goddess Selene. Hey, I had to work that mythology research in here somewhere. I think King used this lawnmower man to insert his story of class warfare into a men's magazine, sold as fantastical horror fiction. And truthfully, there are some intriguing hooks about this man and his lawn service, named Pastoral Greenery Incorporated. The man seems to worship the goddess Circe from his language, and as I mentioned, Pan, the Greek god, is the company's owner. But why would a god want to manage a lawn service? In myth, Pan was the god of fertility, 
He would sow your fields and bring you robust crops. He oversaw the wooded areas with his goat-like legs. Obviously, this is the right god to worship for a nice green lawn in suburbia. Perhaps a lush, green backyard is not as essential as crops were to the ancient Greeks, but times change. But here, it's implied that Pan and his workers have more on their mind than cut lawns. I got a hint of a more nefarious scheme at work. The employee teases, quote, We're getting along toward the final stage, and we're making money to support our other operations to boot. End quote. Other operations? What other operations could Pan be doing? His company name is Pastoral Greenery, but is that pastoral as in rural? Pastoral as in shepherding others? Or pastoral as in spiritual leadership? Is Pan planning an uprising? The lawnmower man does try to recruit Harold, saying he may want to, quote, give it a whirl yourself, end quote, and I think it means stripping naked and following a mower around eating the grass. Of course, the lawnmower man doesn't know that we know. The only thing Harold gives a whirl is a rotary dial telephone. But then again, Pan is also the god of sexuality. That flirty half-goat always liked to hang around the nymphs. That has led some people to believe that at the end, Harold's genitals were cut off. That that was the sacrifice the lawnmower man demanded. I can see where some readers would get that. First, in the Odyssey, Homer wrote that god Circe would, quote, take away one's manhood, end quote, which means removal of the male organ. And at the short story's end, the police survey the carnage, including body parts in the birdbath, and think the murderer must have been done by a sex maniac. And that said... While I think it's a perfectly valid reading to believe Harold's manhood is in the birdbath, it's not one I ever considered until doing my online research. I took the sex maniac line as a reference to Harold's police phone call where he reported a naked man in his front yard. But in the end, I think all this Greek mythology, this creepy lawnmower man, it's all misdirection. And it worked. This isn't a story about a lawnmower man, but a short story named Harold Parquet may not have sold as well. And, truthfully, this misdirection makes the story feel aborted. There are hooks to master plans that are never fleshed out. I never understand why this creature likes to eat the fresh-cut grass. I've come to realize none of that is the point of the story, and it's frustrating that these concepts are teased but not realized. Though, I must give the Lawnmower Man credit. King's prose here is solid. I read these ten pages in half the time of some of his earlier stories like Strawberry Spring. The author has learned to write smoothly in a way that's easily consumed, and that's something literary critics damn in his texts, but also something that's made him very popular among people who aren't habitual readers. By this point in his career, he was well into Salem's lot, possibly even working on The Shining. And reading this story, it feels like it came easy for King. He told the story he wanted to tell, even if it wasn't the story I wanted to read. And with this story being nearly 40 years old now, it does have some anachronisms that make me scratch my head. For example, Harold and his wife sleep in separate beds, but nothing is made of that fact in the plot. It's just a very Dick Van Dyke living situation that I've never seen in real life. More, Harold is surprised that a lawn service would be treated like a business and not just some kid wanting five bucks. Well, these days... I have trouble finding kids to mow the lawn, and the yellow pages are full of very profitable, very expensive lawn services and landscapers who will mow, fertilize, mulch, and more. Though, thankfully, all the ones I've ever hired keep their clothes on while they work. But for its flaws, 
the entire short story The Lawnmower Man is so absurdly amusing that I ended it with a big smile on my face. It's a crazy little tale, but it has a real sense of humor to it that I enjoyed. And this story has been adapted twice. First, this story was made into, of all things, a Marvel comic book. Yes, in December of 1981, if you went to your local comic store, you'd see Spider-Man fighting the Red Ghost's super apes, Iron Man taking on the Living Laser, Thor against Drax the Destroyer, and tons and tons of ads for a new NBC TV series, Spider-Man and his amazing friends. But on those same damn racks of comics was also Bizarre Adventures 23, and it had no mention of new cartoons, but rather a painted image of an incredibly fat man pushing a lawnmower. Marvel Comics had licensed this King story and tasked comic writer and artist Walt Simonson to adapt this to the page. Now, Simonson was most known for his works on Marvel's Star Wars comics as well as the Fantastic Four, but his black and white art was exaggerated in a way that emphasized the comedic irony of the story. But he also stayed true to King's original prose, including having the lawnmower man do his duty butt naked. Clever framing kept the naughty bits out of frame. Truthfully, this is a gorgeous comic for those who appreciate sequential art. Simonson really did this story justice, and if you aren't the type to track down back issues of comics at conventions, later this summer, as luck would have it, the comic is being reprinted. Comic publisher IDW is reprinting this 23-page comic in what's called a portfolio edition, where they take the original comic art pages, scan them in, and print them full size. For example, comic artists will often draw pages at 12 by 17 inches to get more detail in their lines but then those pages are shrunk to just about half that size, usually about 6 by 10 inches. But this artist's edition of The Lawnmower Man will showcase Simonson's art in a way that, as closely as possible, replicates seeing the original pages as they were drawn. For Stephen King fans and Marvel Comics fans, this is a book to keep an eye on. It's expected to be released in July in a very limited print run. And as for that second adaptation of The Lawnmower Man, this one I've already mentioned, the theatrical film. Stuart, Jacob, and I are going to be reviewing that this Tuesday at NowPlayingPodcast.com. And in some recent Stephen King movie reviews, we've marveled at how filmmakers have been able to take 10-page stories from Night Shift and stretch them into 90-minute movies, or, in some cases, three full films. But with The Lawnmower Man, writer-director Brett Leonard and his co-writer Gimmel Everett found themselves stumped. The MPAA would never allow a naked man's green pubic hair to be seen in an R-rated film. And so how do you stretch this story out to 100 pages? They could have expanded Harold's life, inflating the boring parts of the film, as was done with the film adaptation of Graveyard Shift. But instead, Leonard went a different way. He took a script that he'd already written, added a scene of a self-propelled lawnmower chasing a man through his house, and voila! The film Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man was born. But while the main action sequence from the story was in the movie, the end result was so different, King sued New Line Cinema to have his name taken off and won. But despite the author's disavowing of the film, we're still going to review it in its sequel, The Lawnmower Man 2, Beyond Cyberspace. This starts next week at NowPlayingPodcast.com, and I really hope you'll join us for those. And next week I'll be back one more time. I actually am going to be taking a little bit of a break from Books and Nachos for a few weeks as Stuart takes over hosting duties to look at a few non-horror books, 
such as Planet of the Apes and 2001 A Space Odyssey. But next week, I'll be back looking at another story in Stephen King's Night Shift collection, I Know What You Need. I'll talk to you then, and in the meantime, please remember to support your local bookstore. Thank you for listening to this episode of Books and Nachos. If you enjoyed this podcast, please help spread the word about our show by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find dozens more book reviews at our website, booksandnachos.com. The music for Books and Nachos is The Right Prescription by Chai Weapon, which can be downloaded at podsafeaudio.com. Books and Nachos is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2014, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.